Hey y'all, this is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 16 of season 2. This weekend, and well, also last weekend, have been primarily about getting ready for the planting season. I'm down here in Alabama, so we're probably going to see well, at least a guarantee of about six more weeks, and I need about that much time to grow my stuff, y'all. As usual, it's a little bit of a stressful time, as well as a hopeful time, mostly because I am completely top A. I want all the beds ready. I want there to be nothing left. I want all my seedlings all nestled into their little nursery, and that's a lot to do when you're also working. So, Anyhow, as I work along, one of the first things I've noticed is the wonders of recycling and upcycling. I was out there the other day pulling out all the little seed trays I've used probably now for about three years, and that takes a whole lot of care. It's just as important to me if I'm going to use anything that's plastic that it get used and used until there's just no use left in it. Anyhow, like any farmer I know, at the end of the day when my back is tired and Well, I've just put in a real honest day's work. I stand back and I look at this property. One of the things I've been thinking on lately, or studying on, as my grandma would say, is this idea of rewilding. Now, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the term, but it has a lot to do with letting nature be a little bit more primary in her decision making. And she tends to know more than we do. But the longer I do any kind of farming or gardening, and there's a very slight difference between the two, or large, depending on how large of a farm you have. But the longer I do it, and the longer I continue to practice witchcraft upon that farm, the more I think that I've been working towards rewilding this property long before I even knew what the phrase meant. Now, I've done a whole lot of research on the subject, but I've also talked to a lot of folks who, well, are better experts than me. I am no expert on much of anything except how to make the best peach cobbler in the entire world. So, I'm just kidding. It probably isn't the best. It just feels like it. One of the things I keep running into is a lot of folks think that to rewild automatically means to completely back out of that space. Therefore, it's not a very pragmatic solution for a lot of folk, and they tend to also pull away from the idea entirely. After all, they need to live somewhere, and they need to farm somewhere. They need to reside somewhere. And that's fairly sad to me, the backing out, I mean. Because honestly, y'all, that is not what I understand, at least for my farm, as necessary in the process of rewilding. I wanted to talk to y'all a little bit about that today, because the concept can be used for all manner of things that we want to become healthy again, and that could include us as witches. But of course, I'll just start here with my little piece of land. Now, as I got to know this little piece of land, I've made a lot of mistakes in the beginning, 
Oh my gosh. I did things such as carving perfect rectangular gardens. I decided where I wanted my pathways to be and didn't really pay any never mind to where the trees wanted them to be. Oh, and it was very well manicured at first. Very well thought out indeed. And over time, the trees grew up around all of my perfectly laid plans and ate up parts of my garden. It would be years before I understood the concept of magical landscaping. And honestly, I probably could have gotten around to that a lot sooner if I had done the right thing to begin with. When we landed on this property, I did not spend enough time saying howdy. I did not wait for any invitations. And in fact, I just did whatever I wanted to do. I was heartbroken about the move altogether. I remember saying several years in to my partner, you know, I don't feel any magic here. (laughs) Not like where I used to live. There's just, it's not happening for me. I feel very unwelcome. And we've talked about the witches, duh. This is one of them. I mean, before I set up, before I started calling in my own ancestors, and before I started laying out my grand plans, I should have spent some time with the trees and the land spirits. I should have given offerings. I should have. I just had my panties in a wad, y'all, and did not do what I needed to do. Now, the people who had lived here before us were Christian survivalists, and I mean that. They had taken all of the electronics out of the home, including the air conditioners and the heaters. They did leave a refrigerator. I guess even they had their mark in the sand about how far they were going to go. But they had burned them all in this big funeral pyre in the very front of the yard. And that earth was scorched so deeply. We found doll heads out there, which is spooky in of its own right, and all manner of trash. So in my estimation... I was healing the land. I was planting flowers. I was assuring that our trash went to recyclable places and that we were not leaving any kind of trash on the ground. And looking back over a decade ago, I want to smack my own self in the ass. What I was doing was pretty much just civilizing it the way I saw fit. But that's what the people before me had also done. And honey, that has literally nothing to do with rewilding. Let's talk a little bit about how I understand rewilding. It is not just taking out the trash and putting up a pretty flower. And it also is not just walking back and letting nature have her way. And I will explain that. You see, the problem is us humans, we've already kind of come in and done our damage. There are non-native, invasive, exploitive growing things here that were not supposed to be here. And so just standing back and letting whatever happened happen would not necessarily be the best thing for the land. If we come in and fuck it up, we have to unfuck it or at least attempt to. And I did what my grandma always called put lipstick on a pig, call it good. Well, it wasn't good. It might have looked better, but nobody was healing, including me. Over the years, I've worked really hard to get rid of all the Japanese privet, and uh, I may never be successful in that endeavor. <laughs> it is a, it's a tenacious plant, and there's not much we can do about eradicating it altogether, but we can work on it. So I've been working on that. 
and probably one of the most horrific extractions, because you do need to make extractions and rewilding, that I've gone through has been indeed honeysuckle vine. This japonica variety is trying to take down the south, it along with the kudzu and the wisteria, I could go on and on. And so what I did may not be the most thorough sort of extraction, and I'm sure there'd be a witch or two out there that would tell me that I had more work to do. But as a southerner, I will tell you, it does hurt to kill all the honeysuckle. I make a mean honeysuckle ice cream, I should tell y'all how to make that, that will literally just knock your ass back to 10 years old, summer in 1975. And I suppose there is some argument to be made here, y'all. That honeysuckle, well, and wisteria, kudzu, and the like, have lived down here so long that they've, well, just about naturalized themselves into the culture and the landscape. However, they are hurting our environment. And so, I removed all of the honeysuckle that was running alongside a fence. I removed it from the trees. I did the same with the wisteria, and then in the end, there was one honeysuckle vine that was just coming right up a pole, and it was next to a little bush that I didn't really want anyway. It was, uh, well, it wasn't a privet. I can't remember right now what it was, but I allowed it to stay right there, and we have worked very hard to assure that that vine stays put. And it's almost like it understands, too, y'all. I made an agreement with it. You can stay right here. You move anywhere to the left or to the right, and then you're out of here. I think it gets it. I have a tiny little patch of wisteria, and gosh, it smells so good, and it's so beautiful and so detrimental to our trees. Anyway, it's on a little wrought iron frame right now. It's only allowed to get about two to three feet. Bloom. Everybody ooh, ah over it, and then I prune it. So... There were some negotiations to be made in this rewilding. Kindly reminds me of how much I have said before that I would love to be completely off-grid. Just 100% off-grid. I keep wondering what my magic might be like if there was no interruption or electronic hum from electrical lines and such. And I think we all can identify with that thought. But then again, I... I wouldn't be able to work online, and I wouldn't be able to podcast. It's a negotiation I'm having to make, such as the world I'm living in. And there have been a handful of others. For instance, rosemary is not native to this area, and I'm not going to go without rosemary. (laughs) Just, it's not going to happen. But the upshot here is that it's non-invasive. We do have a form of rosemary. It's called false rosemary. It grows along the coast. But I don't think it has the same properties. I think it tastes like mint. I've been looking for a good plant of that for a minute. But in other cases, we did let the wilding happen. There was a patch of mint out here. And it just wanted so much to become, well, the lawn. I decided to get out of its way. My lawn now is a mix of grasses and purslane, which we need to get into at some point. And, well, there's some places that it's just gorgeous thyme netting across the ground. And, of course, that wonderful mint. Dandelions, 
all manner of things. And my husband just loves to mow the grass because it smells like having a cup of herbal tea out here. But I reckon it took a spell for me to finally get into the idea of magical landscaping. Where that garden needed to be for my ease and my comfort was not what the land wanted. I set up a whole little rose garden and everything just ate it right down. The sun shifted. It no longer was getting the correct amount of sun. I was losing that battle. Now, I could have forced it. I could have cut down trees to allow for more sun there. There's all kinds of things I could have done to push my point. However, I accidentally let a rose root itself along the tree line one time. Beautiful thing. She just stands right there in that southern exposure with all these gorgeous trees behind her. And I thought, well, is that where y'all want him to be? And all of the trees just bent in the wind. And I went, okay, all right, well, we will start doing it here. But actually asking the land where it wanted things to be, including the land spirits, helped me to work with the natural scape of the ground and the trees and where the sun hit. And before I knew it, I had irregular and crescent shape and winding gardens, paths that made a whole lot more sense walking through the woods, especially when I'm trying to get to my inoculated mushroom logs. Everything just started to kind of come together. And that's part of rewilding too. If you're going to rewild the place you already live, you're never going to go all the way with that. There's going to be some sort of cooperative homesteading that we got to get done here, y'all. And I've said before, we need to witchify every damn thing. And in doing so, that means my processes. And no one knows better than the trees and the land where things ought to be going. What is best for that ecosystem? Well, when we first came back here over a decade ago, I don't remember seeing very many butterflies or bees. I don't remember hearing very many frogs. We have a lot of tree frogs out here. But today, the place is crawling with them. Ecosystem back here is finding its balance. And I kind of just stay out of the way unless it needs any kind of help. Because I'm part of it now too. And I have to remain balanced as well. And so after all this time... And after all of my, I guess, concessionary moves, but also attempting to be a good steward of where I stand, now I find that the trees do talk to me. I find that it is a magical location. I find that I feel more magical, and it took a long time to get here. And so now what in the Sam Hill does that have to do with magic? Well, I tell y'all. I've been working on rewilding me now for about mm, 10 years. There were things that I attempted to get away from or that someone, say my mother, attempted to get me to get away from as a child, like my southernness. Now, my southernness is an integral part of who I am. But I do remember her disdain for my accent and the way I spoke. I suppose, for the most part, I do get that we need to learn how to speak properly, and I'd spent a long time over there in a valley next to a mountain raising all my babies, and my language and my speech, my diction, had fallen down in that valley pretty low. However, I felt bullied 
out of my accent, and so when I went to college, I attempted very much to carve it out, and the only time it would show up, thickly anyway, was when I was upset, angry, or the like. If I got really comfortable and had too many glasses of wine, a friend or two would say, wow, you do have an accent, and I was starting to see that I was living, well, a lie. Now, I'd already proven to myself, and I didn't have to do so, and nobody need do so. I'd already proven to myself that I could get a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, and yeah, I've got a doctorate. I'd already proven that I could be published, that I could write with the best of them, and I could stand at an MLA conference giving a speech, giving a bit of a panel, presenting all my work, and it was very unlikely that anybody would know I was from Alabama. I'd worked that hard to carve Alabama out of my tongue. After all, y'all do know, I'm sure you know, that most of the world makes fun of our accent and assumes that we, well, don't have the sense God gave a goose because we have these molasses, slow ways of talking and say things like druthers or fixin' to. My people said these phrases. My people spoke in this way. But I had grown ashamed and thought that if I were ever to be taken seriously, I had to do something about it. And so when I hit my mid-40s all that time ago, I wanted to get back to a more authentic me. I wanted to, in essence, begin to rewild myself a bit. And when I lost my job, when I was outed as a witch and lost my job, yes, I did, I thought, well, what time's better? I can actually go back to myself. And it took a little bit. I had to relax my throat. I had to relax my mind. I had to sink back into something that I had boxed up and put away and was extraordinarily ashamed of. And the more I allowed that voice to come back, the more I felt comfortable in my own skin. And that's when I began to write again. That's when I felt I could write again. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, when I'm talking right along sometimes and I'm not so relaxed, I may tense up and I may speak more like this. I know there's still an accent there. That's because I've been doing it so long now that I may not be able to go back to that academic professor talk. But y'all, in releasing, because that's what it is, my pent-up authentic voice, my native tongue, if you will, my mother tongue, I was able to come back to a truer place for me and in my craft. I went back to canon. I went back to growing my own food. I think the last time I had done it, I was in my mid-20s. I went back to saving seed. I went back to a deep connection with the land because, I mean, all cultures have something like that. Here in Alabama, that connection is already haunted and it's already problematic. The land is entrenched in historicity of enslavement, native people's removal, sharecropping, and a complete divorcement away from connecting with the land that you are farming, that you are working. Something like that would cause a deep resentment to the land after a time, don't y'all think? And so I had to go back to it. I had to go rattle all those bones. Because if I don't rattle those bones, 
Well, then it's like I'm dishonoring all that historicity. I'm just pretending it didn't happen. But it did. And this land bore me. And I'm going to die upon it. So I might as well get to learning it. And loving it. And living with it. And all of this started because I let my native tongue be. Y'all, before I knew it, I was collecting folklore again and listening to some of the old ways from old timers. I couldn't grow a pepper to save my damn life at first, and now I can't make them stop. I cannot make them stop. I have to be careful how many I put out there. Got a CSA member. I don't know if y'all know what that is. That's uh, community-supported agriculture. I have a member that swears that if I don't stop growing so many damn jalapenos, she doesn't know what she's going to do. I was still slinging those at her in December. This is just what happens. The connection gets deeper and richer as you become part of your environment. And while difficult and while complicated, that kind of connection could not happen as long as I was ashamed. Ashamed of who I had been. Ashamed of where I came from. My people on my mother's side were river people. They were about as country-fied as you get. I had an uncle who was always toting around some kind of shine in his overall pocket. And by the way, overalls down here, especially with my people, were daily dress. You had your fancy overhauls and called them overhauls. And those would be, you know, the darker ones, the darker uh, denim. And they had a nice crease, nicely starched, but also creased all the way down the leg. Somebody somewhere had done iron those perfectly. And then they had the in-between run into the store and the ones that you would work on the land in. And I was ashamed. I was ashamed. It never occurred to me to be proud because I thought if I were proud, then I'd be proud of being uneducated at one point, that I would be proud of the horrors of the Deep South, that I would be proud of the racism that had been deeply entrenched in my childhood. It never occurred to me that you can be proud of yourself and the land, the land itself, that has done nothing to cause all that. It's been a long road, y'all. There is something very specific about Southern magic. I have yet to be able to define it in a way that makes a lot of sense to anybody that hasn't been down here. We just have so many echoes from different culture, and we just have this um, seductive weather. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and haints and beauty. It's, it's a hell of a mix. It's very heady. And so when I was throwing it all out, I was throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But just like those extractions that have to happen in proper dewilding, I had to do those to myself as well. I had to go look at things like the roots of racism in my own life. I had to think through and educate myself on everything from gender sexual preference, other religions. Yes, even as a witch. Yes, I did. We are not impervious to that kind of thing. And the unexamined soul, well, you can have a lot of shadows down there if we're not paying attention. So there were some extractions and there were some additions. Building me has taken a very long time. It's a little bit of rewilding, a little bit of cultivation, and a whole lot of damn patience. But I suppose the most important thing I've done in this rewilding of myself has been to look at non-native and or invasive ideas that have pervaded my soul and my spirit and the way I understand things and the way I communicate with people 
my relationships. You see, it's a wonderful opportunity, really, to sit down and design a plan to rewild yourself. And the very last thing I wanted to do in that process was listen to the peanut gallery. That included my colleagues, that included my blood family, my neighbors, anyone, because they don't have to live on this land I call my spirit, do they? I do. I have to live here. My list got very long. Things I wanted to pull out of here, things I wanted to add, things I wanted to nourish and grow, what I hope to become, all of that. And y'all all know, I hope to become a tree. I've said it enough times. Oh, and oaks. I'd love to be an oak. Anyway, that plan to rewild myself, it's an ongoing plan. You don't just get there, at least not overnight. I look at it like a journey, just like the land I'm sitting on. The other day, I noticed we don't have any black-eyed Susans out here, and that is a native flower. I plan to address that. And for my own self and my rewilding, I'm allowing myself to write more. You know, I talked about boundaries a really long time ago with y'all. What was that? The second? Oh, I don't know. Was it the first? I don't remember. But boundaries are important too, even with rewilding. I know it sounds antithetical. But what if you have folks that are on the other side of that line who are poisoning the land, who are cutting down the trees? Well, you better have that boundary up. You've got to protect that space if you want it to come back to something natural, holistic, and balanced. And I did that for me, too. Well, I don't know if y'all are interested in doing the same for yourselves, but there's got to be something, something that is native in us that we want to nurture. And I think if we look at ourselves like a beautiful piece of land that has an ecosystem and lots of different things living upon it that thrive if we take good care of it and sometimes thrive if we just stay out of the way of it, I think that kind of helps. Analogies always work for me. You know, I can't take everything that I find poisonous or horrifying out of my native frame. There's not going to be a complete cleansing of all of that. I am a fucked up, beautiful soul. I'm just trying to be more beautiful than I am fucked up. You know, we have this big cedar tree here by our house, and underneath it, a couple of years ago, a copperhead laid a bunch of babies. Now, at first, I am sorrowful to say my husband killed him. He was just very concerned, didn't want us to get bit on the way into the house, and it was right there in the pathway of that. But then we started talking a little bit about what to do. Well, see, the situation was that we had been putting all of our firewood there, right underneath that tree. And that might work real fine for winter. We're not likely to get bit in the winter. But from spring to fall, it was still sitting there. And I said, why don't we just move this pile? You know, there's just not much left at the end of firewood season. So why don't we move the whole situation, whatever's left underneath there, over to the tree line? Why didn't I think about this before? Of course we need it here in the winter, but it doesn't have to be here the rest of the year. And the truth is, I'm not a snake specialist, but since the copperhead showed up, we haven't seen a rattlesnake knock on wood. I have to tell y'all right now, copperheads are way nicer to deal with than rattlesnakes. Copperheads, in fact, half the time are only going to give you a dry bite. They're really shy. They don't want to mess with you. 
And so we've taken some venomous activity and kind of moved it to the outskirts. It may be native, but we still need to operate in a healthy way. I think I've done a lot of that myself, too. I may have a bad temper. I used to, anyway. The older I get, the more mellow I've become. And I may have a whole lot of trauma deep down inside of me from my childhood. But I can't get rid of all of it because it's like a game of Jenga, honey. I take out some of that, I would not be who I am. I have to deal with it, and I want to be stepping on it every time I try to say howdy to somebody. But, you know, it's all part and parcel of being Seba. All right, that's long enough. I wanted to go ahead and do our shout-outs for Patreon. Since our last podcast, these are the folks who are working so hard to support the podcast. And it's just critical to the survival of it. Thank y'all so much. Love y'all. And these folks are Christian Sinkowski, Al, Beth, Amanda. I called her out last time, but her full name is what she wants me to use. So Amanda Rozier and Angel Craig from the Science Witch Podcast. I love that another podcast is helping out. And finally, I wanted to holler at y'all about something I make all the time, and I wanted to make sure you had an opportunity to do it too. And I wanted to start with something that I had to learn how to make in defense of having too many damn peppers. So here we go. It's too simple. It's too easy. I'm going to give it to you anyhow. If y'all want to make a really neat spin on jalapeno poppers, Skip the cream cheese altogether, I know, I know, but just trust me and find you a really good, I mean, nice pimento cheese. And in fact, if you want to go the extra mile, y'all, make it yourself. And it's that simple. Instead of trying to stuff a bunch of cheddar cheese into these things or the normal route, just stuff your jalapenos or other peppers are really good with this too with pimento cheese. Now, Y'all know I can't help myself. I wrap that in bacon. I know. I feel ashamed. Damn. And one of the things I've been doing with these all these years is going ahead and doing that and then putting them on a piece of parchment paper that's lined over a cookie sheet and just sink that into your refrigerator or your deep freeze. As soon as they're frozen hard, they're like little jewels. You can put them in a bag and they're going to freeze a lot better. They're not going to be stuck together anymore. I tell y'all what, there is nothing as fun in this entire world as finding something you put together already in your freezer in the cold of winter. That's one thing. The other thing I wanted to tell y'all is a simple thing as well. We're just going to go nice and sweet and simple this week. But if you will go ahead and get you some lemon balm seeds and start you a nice little lemon balm patch, okay? Or, I mean, conversely, buy some plants. It will spread. In the heart of summer, if you'll cut a good third of that plant top right off, if you'll only do a third of the top, it will continue to grow for you all summer long. And anyhow, run it on into your house and boil up enough water you would do for a gallon of tea and drop all those leaves in there. And you know what I also like to do is have a fresh lemon on hand. I do have a lemon tree in my hothouse, but you could always just get a lemon at the store. And as soon as all that wonderful balm steeps in this thing, drain it all out, add just a squirt of really fresh lemon, and spin you up in some honey. Now, don't 
drink it quite yet. I mean, you can have hot lemon balm tea, but if you will throw this into the refrigerator, when it's icy cold, your eyes are going to roll back, y'all. It is so good, especially if you like the flavor of lemon. And finally, while we're on the, I guess, simpler side of cooking in the witch's kitchen, let's talk about that honeysuckle ice cream right quick. What do you think? All right, so you're going to have to go get you a quart of heavy cream. And you're going to have to pick honeysuckle, just the flower. Now, that is critical. You do not want any of the little green leaves in there. So be sure, if you just grab a bunch, that you sit down and you go through each and every one of these pretty little girls and take off all of the green. The vine and the leaves cannot be good for you, honey. So you only want the flower itself, all right? And hopefully you've collected these someplace that has not been sprayed. I would not do this in an area that could have had pesticide on it. Okay, I do not wash mine because we don't use anything like that around here. The only thing that's touched these honeysuckle vines that I've got all neatly corralled (laughs) in their little spot has been sun and rain. And I don't like it when they get all gushy. So you do you. Make sure they dry all the way back out if you rinse them. We do not want water in our ice cream. Anyhow, you're going to pack just as many as you can get into a quart-sized mason jar. Now, if you have too many, you know what to do. Grab you another mason jar right off the bat. All right? And then you're going to pour heavy cream over the top of this. You might want to take you a spoon and sort of smush it down a little bit as you go because you want it all the way to the top and then put that lid on there and you're going to let that steep in your refrigerator and hopefully your refrigerator is nice and cold for bare minimum two days don't go over three okie dokie all right now the best way to go about measuring your ratios is you want about a cup of heavy cream to a cup of whole milk and every time you get that ratio you want about a third a cup of granulated sugar I like to put in a pinch of sea salt, too. Gives a wonderful balance to the flavors. Now, if you're using a quart-sized jar, you might have extra. That's fine. Two things can happen here. First thing, you have a double batch. No problem. The other thing, and I've done this in the past, is you can go ahead and just use the cream. I know, I said it. Very naughty, isn't it? But you do want those ratios if you're going to use whole milk. And with that, y'all are going to put in a third of a cup of sugar, a pinch of sea salt, and honestly, that is where I stop. I've heard of folks putting in a little bit of whole vanilla bean. I can see the argument, but honeysuckle is such a delicate flavor. I don't want anything getting in the way of it. You kind of breathe it in every time you spoon another little creamy frozen morsel to your mouth. So I just want that one flavor. And I'm good. Now, I have a little cheap, not even fancy ice cream maker. You know, the kind where you freeze the bowl and you pull it back out. But I've heard that if you whip the cream first, you can probably throw it in the freezer and it'll be just fine. So there y'all go. Give it a try. If we're going to have an invasive species, we might as well get a little fun out of it. All right. I've been getting a little low on listener questions, y'all. I need somebody to write in. Throw me some subjects and let me know. 
Even if you don't want me to read what you've got on the air, just let me know what you want me to talk about. Okay, well, I'm going to get back outside. I have a lot of things I've got to seed and a lot of things I've got to start. And here with spring coming, I don't have a whole lot of time. We got a brand new almond tree, one of those all-in-ones that self-pollinates. I'm so excited about that thing. We don't have a lot of room out here, but it's one of those that only gets 15 foot tall. I'm going to put that prime front and center. Cannot wait to see her go into bloom. Anyhow, love y'all like chicken. See you next week. Blessed be. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.